good to be finally finishing, though, our uh, story of Abraham. You can keep that up there, Jason. Uh, and, um, and we're reaching the climax of the story. So if you're only just with us, you're getting the final instalment. It's been a nine-week journey uh, through the story of Abraham. Uh, and really, it's one of the most famous stories told in the Old Testament. It's one of the most um, well-known stories that's been told. And uh, we're going to go through that this morning. And uh, I thought it would be appropriate uh, as we kind of reach the climax of, of the story of Abraham that we kind of do a bit of a recap of where we've been thus far uh, in the story, some of the high points. Uh, remember, uh, at the start, Abraham was worshipping other gods, Joshua 24 tells us. Uh, back in Genesis uh, 11, uh, when uh, God's grace to him, as he was worshipping other gods, he calls him uh, and he uh, promises him four things. He promises him a place. He promises him a people. He promises him protection. And he promises that he has a program to bless the entire world through him. He says, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you and your descendants. So we see God's gracious call to him uh, in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, he, he moves to this promised land. Um, none of it's his, uh, but God says, um, as far as you can walk to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, so far that you can walk, all this land I am giving to you. God keeps on reiterating these promises to him uh, throughout the story again and again and again. Um, but you kind of, um, his faith kind of fumbles all the way through. And so in chapter 15, he's like, God, I, it's, like, it's been like 20 years. Um, I still haven't got um, a, a, a child. I haven't got this people promise. So, so what's going on? And so God says, um, Abraham, go outside of your tent. Look up at the stars. See if you can count them. And then he says to him, so shall your offspring be. Uh, Breathe it in, take it in, reach for the stars. This is your future. I'm promising you a people. And then uh, on the next night, he's like, well, what about the promise of a place? Like, I'm still living in tents over here. None of this land is mine. How can I be so sure that you're going to give it to me, given that after all these years, I've still got nothing? And so um, do you remember that story in chapter 15 where he puts Abraham to sleep and he's like in this dark slumber and, and then or before that he says, cut up these animals. God says, cut up these animals and lay them side by side and then he falls into this dark, dark sleep. And um, remember like what's going on here in the ancient Near East is that this is the way that kings and kingdoms entered into covenants and agreements with each other. They would cut up these uh, animals and they would both... Um, the people making the treaty, the kings, they would walk through these animals to say, so shall it be done to me if I were to break my side of the agreement, if I were to break this covenant. But then um, Abraham falls into this dark sleep and he sees this smoking fiery pot which represents uh, God passing through the cut up animals as if God is saying, so shall it be done to me if you break the covenant. I'll pay the price. And that's ultimately God saying... Uh, this won't happen, uh, well, this will happen over my dead body. In other words, I'll be the one cut to pieces, so, and that's how you can know that my promise is sure and this is going to happen. Um, the, the, the latest um, uh, high point that we've seen is this whole name-changing um, ceremony uh, in chapter 17. Remember, he's still uh, doubting any of these promises, and God changes his name from Abraham to Abraham. And, and can you remember what that means? Abraham means the father of many nations, which is kind of a bit of a joke because 30, 40 years later, he still hasn't got any kids. But God says, this is who you are and you try and change it. Abraham, 
You are the father of many nations. And we see in that that our being precedes our doing. God declares it to be so, and then it is so. He gets this new name, Abraham. But Sarai gets a name change too. Can you remember what her name was changed to? It was changed to Sarah, which means princess. In other words, she's going to be the mother of many nations, even though she's still barren, even though she hasn't got any kids. God says, you Sarah, princess, the mother of many nations. And there was one final name that was given in chapter 17. Can you remember? Isaac. They said, you're going to name this boy that you get a year from now, Isaac, which means laughter. Why? Because they laughed at the idea that God would give them a child. And so... Uh, He who laughs last, laughs the loudest. Uh, And so God said, we'll call him Isaac, laughter. And so what we see through this story, what we've seen is God's great faithfulness and amazing grace. And at the same time, Abraham's faith fumbling along as he kind of takes two steps forward and one step back. But over that process, Abraham's faith has grown and now we reach the climax, the ultimate test of his faith in chapter 22. God is wanting to grow our faith. I think that's what we see through this story. Uh, We've been praying, Lord, increase our faith. And that's what God has been doing for Abraham through the story. Uh, But now he faces the ultimate test. And so as we go through the passage, Genesis 22, I want you to see firstly the challenge of the call in verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to see the response to God's test in verses 3 to 10. And then finally, I want you to see in verses 11 to 14 that the Lord will provide. And really, that's the big idea today. The Lord will provide. So let's start off in verses 1 and 2 and look at the challenge of the call that God makes to Abraham. Verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So I want you to notice that this has resonance with the original call back in chapter 12. Remember what God said to him back in chapter 12. He said, go, go, like he says here, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. So 40 years later... God is still calling Abraham to go. You would have thought it would be time for him to kick back and have a rest. But 40 years later, God says, go. Go from the familiar. Go from the comfortable. Go from the stable. Go. You see, we've always got more room to grow, which is why God keeps calling us to go. 40 years later, for him he was 110 because God always wants us wants to increase your faith. The other thing I want you to see about the call is that at the end of verse 2, do you see he says, I'll show you later. I'll, I'm not going to show you now. I want you to go not knowing where you're going, not knowing what all the steps are, and not knowing how the story ends. I just want you to go. I want you to trust me. Entrust yourself to me that I know the way And I'll take care of you. Not only is he called to go and and go to a place where he doesn't know how the story is going to end, but you'll see in verse 2, he's called to offer up. He has to offer up, which is what he did back in chapter 12. He had to leave. 
He had to leave behind his civilization. He had to leave behind his security by living with his family, his sense of status and significance in that community. He had to leave all of that behind. He had to offer all of that up. But now he has to offer up his son. It says, your only son. Uh, This isn't kind of rubbing it in. He's saying that Ishmael is gone now. Remember, he had a bet both ways and he tried to help God out with the descendants as numerous as the stars. And so the idea now is that Abraham has put all of his eggs in one basket. Ishmael is gone and it's all riding on Isaac. So God says, your only son whom you love, which is the understatement of the century. Think about how long they've been waiting. Think about how much they've been through to get this boy. Isaac has been the source of Abraham's laughter now for 15 years. The joy and the jewel of his heart. And as the child of the promise, everything that God had promised is riding on him. Abraham loved him with aching parental love. You know, the kind that hurts. This is his son whom he loves. You see, Isaac had become the emotional and psychological and spiritual centre of Abraham's life. Uh, God is saying that every finite source of security, every finite source of satisfaction ultimately needs to be offered up to him because you're not going to be able to take it with you anyway. Ultimately, death is going to strip you of all of it. This is something that was much too hard to take for Charles Schultz. Can you remember the um, Peanuts comic strip? You know, uh, Snoopy and, and Charlie Brown. It lasted a whopping 50 years, very popular. And it was uh, the brainchild of Charles Schultz. As his life was fading and the comic strip was coming to a close, one of his favourite um, characters that he played with in his cartoons was a melting snowman. And, and one of his colleagues wondered if this was symbolic of how life was slipping out of his hands. He asks, would his comic strip last? Would readers a hundred years later take meaning and pleasure from the Peanuts cartoon? Or would today's daily strip melt as soon as the sun came up the next morning. Uh, In his final TV interview, Charles Schultz was uh, cancer-ridden and he said, I never dreamed that this would happen to me. All of a sudden, it's gone. It's been taken away from me. Let me be clear. I did not take this away from me. This was taken away from me. A fellow cartoonist wrote of his dying days. He had control over the Peanuts universe for 50 years, but he had no control over his death. He didn't accept it graciously. He wasn't ready. And another colleague, after he died, said, To the very end, his life had been inseparable from his art. In the moment of ceasing to be a cartoonist, he ceased to be. See, it doesn't matter whether you're religious or 
irreligious. Everybody's living for something. Everybody has to live for something. And that thing it becomes your emotional, psychological and spiritual centre. But if that something isn't infinite, if that something isn't everlasting, then that makes you incredibly secure because when you stop being it or having it, like Charles Schultz, you cease to be. And God doesn't want that for Abraham. In his famous book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis says, Do not let your happiness depend on something that you may lose. If love is to be a blessing and not a misery, it must be for the only beloved who will never pass away. God called Abraham to offer up Isaac. And in Hebrews 11 verse 8, the writer says, By faith, when called to go, Abraham obeyed and went. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Can you see? Abraham was transferring his emotional, psychological, spiritual center from finite, something that he could lose, his boy Isaac, to the infinite, to the beloved, the only beloved who will never pass away. That's the challenge of the call. Let's look at Abraham's response to God's test in verse 3. You'll see that he rose early in the morning and set out and went to the place. God called, Abraham obeyed unequivocally. He was learning to trust in God. Then verse 4, on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Abraham had three days to reconsider whether he would follow through. He had three days to get cold feet. They would have been the three longest days of his life. Contemplating where he was headed. What he was going to do. Praying. Wrestling. And after three days he was still determined to follow it through. But I think he'd been praying and reflecting during that time. Because look at what he says in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men... Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will come back? I'm going to go over there. I'm going to sacrifice my son Isaac as a burnt offering. And then we will come back. How's that going to happen? What's he saying? Well, the writer to the Hebrews gives us insight in chapter 11, verse 17. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham reasoned that if God had promised that he would have descendants numerous as the stars through his boy Isaac, and if God commanded him to offer him up as a burnt offering, then God was able to raise him from the dead, which is why Jesus in John chapter 8 says, 
Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He could see the resurrection. He could see that our God is a God of the living and not a God of the dead. You see it again in Abraham's response to Isaac. You know, in verse 8, Isaac's like, Dad, I can see the fire and I can see the wood, but where's, where's the lamb that we're going to slaughter? And what does he say in verse 8? God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide the lamb. Now, this is the last thing that I want you to see in the story, that, that the Lord will provide. Abraham trusted that the Lord would provide the lamb and that we would come back from worshipping God. And what I want you to remember is that the original audience for Genesis was actually the Israelites who had escaped from Egypt. Scholars believe that the writer of Genesis was Moses and the original audience were the Israelites who had escaped from Egypt. And can you remember how it was that they escaped. Can you remember what happened the night of their escape? God will provide the lamb. Do you remember what they had to do? God said, I'm sending an angel of death. And in order for your firstborn sons to be spared, because they're just as guilty as all the other firstborn sons in Egypt, the way in which they're going to be spared is if you take a perfect spotless lamb And you kill that, slaughter that lamb, and you put the blood on the doorposts. And that night, though your firstborn sons are just as guilty as the Egyptian firstborn sons, the angel of death will see the blood of the lamb, and that lamb will die in their place, and the angel of death will pass over. So they already knew, through the Passover story, how the Lord provided a lamb. And they read these words on Abraham's lips. The Lord will provide the lamb. In fact, subsequent generations would, after the temple had been built, would go to the same mountain that was built on Mount Moriah and they would worship in the temple there and guess what they would do there? They would bring a burnt offering. They would bring an offering of an animal, an offering of a perfect spotless lamb to die in their place. Because the Lord provides the lamb as a substitute for their sins. But of course, these stories point us to the true and better Isaac, who would climb up Mount Calvary, not with the wood on his back like we see Isaac doing, carrying the wood up to his own sacrifice, but carrying the cross up onto Mount Calvary. And we see how these stories are just a shadow and a glimpse of the true and better Abraham. God the Father who would offer up his son, his only son, the one that he loved with an aching fatherly love of which our love is just a mere shadow and drop in the ocean and he would offer up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The Lord will provide the lamb. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was the willing sacrifice and the willing son, but we get a picture of the Father's aching parental love and what he went through out of love for us to offer up his son for us. And so John the Baptist in John chapter 1, when he saw Jesus, he would cry out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
the Lord will provide the lamb. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. Friends, this is the way in which all the nations of the world will be blessed. God promised Abraham in chapter 12, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you and through your descendants. And the way in which God's blessing is poured out on the world is through the lamb who bore the curse for the sins of the world such that his blessings could flow onto us in his place. In verse 12, after Abraham makes up this offering of his son, the angel calls out, Do not lay a hand on him or do anything to him, for now I know, now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. You know, I reckon if Abraham was at Mount Calvary on the night Christ was crucified, he would have taken that verse and he would have turned it around. Beholding the crucified son, the Lamb of God, and he would have said, now I know. I know that I know that I know that the Father loves me because he did not withhold from me his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. And now I know that he loves me. You know, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 32, our second reading. He says, he picks up on these words. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all things? The Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of Mount Calvary, the Lord will provide the sacrificial lamb. And now I know that he loves me. Do you see how we're able to offer up our Isaacs? It's because the Lord will provide. Do you see how we're able to go and make disciples of all nations, leaving everything behind? Because the Lord will provide. He has provided. And he will continue to provide. And so we've seen through this story that God does not guarantee us a pain-free life or existence. We've seen that it's mountain high and valley low. But through the valleys, through the trials... God's purpose is to test and to increase your faith. To be able to trust in him so that you can know more and more that the Lord will provide. And ultimately so that you know that you're going to a better country. So friends, as we gather around the Lord's table later in the service and we remember that the Father, out of love for us, gave his precious son to us, I want to ask you, Is there anything that you need to hand over to God? What are the Isaacs that you need to offer up? Have you put conditions on following God? A great working definition of God is that God is the non-negotiable thing in your life, the thing that you won't let go of. People say, if I become a Christian, will will I have to do this? Now, will I need to stop doing that? In other words, I will follow Jesus unless 
I have to stop doing this or unless I have to start doing that. What you're actually saying is this thing over here that I won't give up, this is my God and I'll only follow the Lord Jesus as long as he helps me to get my true God, the thing that I'm truly living for, the non-negotiable thing that I won't let go of. You see how crazy that is? Do you see how unbelieving that is? How could we hold anything back from him when he's held nothing back from us? His son, his one and only son whom he loves. The degree to which you truly believe that the Lord will provide and the degree to which you understand just how richly he's provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ will be the degree to which you're able to offer up your Isaacs to him, knowing and trusting and believing that the Lord will provide. He'll take care of you. He's taken care of you through his son. And so as we gather around the communion table, remembering God's great love for us, his amazing sacrifice for us, remember that the Lord will provide. He has provided the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And I want to close with a prayer that we use at the end of many of our services. And so please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided. And we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we offer ourselves to you, Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory, knowing and trusting that the Lord will provide. In Jesus' name.